Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback. So please go out and buy a copy or two. And if you're into the audiobook gig, you can get volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. Please partake of a couple of books and you'll make me very happy. And now, may I introduce you to my brother and co host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you, Bill? Fantastic. Where are you located this evening? I am uh, in Atlanta, Georgia tonight. And uh, by the way, this weekend I've been on the go. So this weekend I drove from Atlanta, Georgia, believe it or not, up to Chicago, then flew back to Raleigh and then flew back to Atlanta, Georgia. So fantastic. No moss growing on this rock this week. <laughs> You know, folks, I did that intentionally with my brother tonight to show you the extremes that we find ourselves in pulling this podcast together each week. Uh, And we're not kidding, you know, and that's why I did a solo uh, shot a couple of weeks ago because we just couldn't make it happen. But uh, wherever and whenever, Kev, right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, during the pandemic, that was one of the good things. It was pretty easy to do because we were it wasn't that easy because we were still 600 miles apart. But um, I wasn't going anywhere. Now I'm kind of back on the road doing the James Bond. (laughs) But but it was kind of cool. I did want to mention, Bill, that like I never did this drive up uh, up from Atlanta through Tennessee, Kentucky, and we went up through central Indiana uh, and uh-huh. then uh, into Illinois and over to Chicago. And, you know, we have a lot of uh, sightings in that area that I was driving through. And I'll tell you what, it's a pretty quiet place. Like, you know, yeah. not a lot of people, not a lot of other cars while we were driving through the night. Um, so yeah. you could see, I mean, you know. Again, I I don't go to Indiana too much, but you, when you're driving through southern Indiana, heading up north, boy, there's not a lot there. By the way, a lot of giant windmills. Like, oh my goodness, I never saw so many windmills. So, Isn't that interesting? Old windmills or new windmills? Oh no, new ones, new ones. Yeah, Super the new, high the tech. big uh, turbine ones. Big turbine ones. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny because I was having a conversation with one of our listeners, and uh, you know we go all over the place. When I talk to people, anybody who's spoken to me knows it's an open-ended conversation. And uh, he uh, went off the rails talking about uh, the government trying to make us think like we're overpopulated. And he made a a point of saying, which I have said many times, you know, you drive this way and you drive that way or you fly this way or you fly that way. There ain't nobody. So the idea is they're preaching to a bunch of people living in a congested area who look around and say, yeah, we are overpopulated. But you drive uh, you drive 50 miles the other way and ain't nobody there to even talk to. 
<laughs> so it's a, it's it's a weird uh, dichotomy, you know. Uh, well, that's it, Bill. Like fan. a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. don't travel that much, and I'm not saying it as a criticism. It's just a fact. And then when you do, mm-hmm. I mean, even flying across the country, and you look outside the window for hours, and you don't see a road in some places. And then driving across, you know, even from the south to the north, in the eastern third of the country, you still see so much rural places, you know. And they're beautiful, too, by the way. Like, but no people. So, you know, when you're you're sitting in your house with your TV and your computer, it's hard to imagine how much vast space there is out there. But there is a lot of vast open space. Yeah, well, like I've said before, nine and a half million Square miles, North America. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of miles, boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of real estate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do you got tonight, bro, in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Dude, tonight we're looking to the sky. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we're we're going to talk a little bit about an alien abduction. Oh, wow. Okay. A rumored alien abduction. We can all judge for ourselves. But um, this one goes back to 1989. It's one of the most famous abduction cases. And what's wild, Bill, is it took place in New York City. Yeah. uh, In my new book, UFO Sightings and Encounters, uh, I think the first encounter I call the Brooklyn Bridge sighting. Oh, that's what we're talking about. So, folks, okay. you know, uh, WJ and I, I have a habit of not telling him what I'm going to talk about, and I don't know what he's going to talk about either. But this is uh, what some people call the Brooklyn Bridge sighting uh, or the Linda Abduction, where uh, Linda doesn't really show her uh, last name, and uh, the authors that write about this abduction don't share her last name, generally speaking, or they have, uh, you know, uh, um, aliases uh, that they talk uh-huh. about. But this occurred on November 30th, 1989, at 3 a.m. Okay. in the morning. Is that the same one you're talking about, Bill? No. And, no. But by okay. the way, is this on a, a side note, uh, John Lennon uh, reported that he had a UFO sighting uh, in uh, one of the boroughs of Manhattan when he lived in there of a craft flying around between the buildings and whatnot. Uh, yeah, if somebody and knows was, more yeah. about that. Yeah, while I was I, researching I was just, this, there's been quite a few uh, sightings in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, it's not without its uh, paranormal activity. No, but it's kind of surprising because there's so much ground light in New York City. You know, it's kind of hard to see an object that's moving around in the sky, you know, compared to being out at the beach with me on the coast of North Carolina, where I try to spend as much time as I can, where you look up and you routinely see satellites going by, the space station going by, maybe a UAP Mm -hmm. now and then. (laughs) yeah you wouldn't think but again kev right people are seeing something because they're looking yeah yeah but this one's pretty wild so it definitely goes into the strangeness and maybe even the freaky deaky of uh of our reporting so it's it's the story uh shows up in a lot of different places i'm i'm going to be speaking to an article that was on pbs.org And um, it comes from a gentleman by the name of Bud Hopkins. That's a rather famous uh, writer about uh, UFO sightings. Not as famous as my brother, mind you, but, you know, a rather (laughs) famous person. And um, he talks about the fact that this woman, Linda, was abducted from her 12th floor apartment in lower Manhattan, and um, she left her window open. She was asleep. She had a husband and children. And um, the, she was, you know, reported to have been seen by other witnesses, which we'll talk about, floating out of her window 
in a beam of light. This is in Manhattan, people. You know, so a lot of people see this in a beam of light with three gray aliens below this UFO. You know, Kev, uh, when we talk about Lower Manhattan, is that in the area of the Brooklyn Bridge? Oh, yeah. Uh, the reason I'm saying this is uh, you got to read the account in my UFO book after we well, talk about this. Maybe, maybe it this sounds my, like you'll be. Maybe this is my yeah, chance to get an autographed copy. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it it's unbel- it's uncanny how what you're beginning with is already lining up with what I reported. But go All ahead, right. please go. All right. Well, so um, there's a couple of people that saw it. A woman that witnessed it. She was out driving uh, uh, from the Brooklyn Bridge. And she saw this and she thought, quote, somebody must be making a movie. This must be a movie because it's impossible. And yet I'm looking at it. And there were other people on the bridge, too, also terrified. And they're seeing this person floating in there, which they didn't immediately, you know, assume that she was with aliens. But it was like they were she was floating with these other creatures in this beam of light. You know, heading up to this glowing object. And then it turns out that two other gentlemen reported this and uh, apparently talked to this gentleman, Bud, uh, Bud Hopkins. And it turns out that they were apparently on a security detail with someone from the United Nations. So they were driving this person from the United Nations home you know, one of the uh, ambassadors or something like that. And um, right. and they saw this and they reported it. Wow. Yeah, uh, you know, in the account that I have, the fellow who I have the account from had come home late closing down his pizzeria. His apartment was roasting. He had a couple of the windows open. His wife was there. And uh, he saw this thing like moving by windows in an apartment complex uh, over by the bridge. And then the beam went through a window and he saw something come out with a couple of other something or others that he couldn't identify through a beam into the craft. Yeah, so this sounds and this sounds very similar, Bill. I wonder if this guy was recounting this event but was an uninterviewed witness at the time. Like well, somebody it else. Because there's only a few witnesses that were interviewed in the reportings I've seen and of course it was over Manhattan. Now it was three AM in the morning but certainly more than a few people saw it. Not many reported it, of course, which is normal. It's also funny, too, because this fellow used the same description as him thinking initially that it might have been a movie being shot. It was so off the charts weird. There you go, yeah. And, uh, And then you have another witness on the street from the story you're talking about who thought it might have been a movie. You know, New York, you see a lot of weird stuff in New York, you know. Oh, yeah. And you would think, you know, uh, I mean, there's enough going on there compared to driving through southern Indiana like I was. If you saw something there, you wouldn't think they're making a movie, you know, um, unless it's like Field of Dreams or something. But (laughs) but in New York City, you know, you could easily think, okay, this is some kind of advertisement, you know. Something to get attention, or they're making a movie. You know, maybe it's uh, yep, Batman's yep. going to fly out of this thing or something. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what you're looking at. CG, yeah. something backdrop being made. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, go ahead, man. Yeah, Very and then some of the reports later on say that this figure that was coming from the UN with these two security guys was a gentleman named Javier Javier Perez de Cuellar, who was at the time the Secretary General of the UN. 
And uh, mm-hmm. apparently he is reported to have witnessed this as well with his security guards. Amazing, you know? Yeah. And, and what do you say, Kev? Everybody's a lunatic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't no, think no, so. No, no, no. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah. Well, it's bizarre. Yeah, so, so it's... So what uh, else happened? That, that's about it. I mean, if that's not enough, yeah. but I mean, uh, yeah, no. you know, basically you have these multiple witnesses. And I thought it was really interesting where this woman has her window open on the 12th floor of an apartment complex. She's living with her husband and children. And uh, she's she by the way, when this whole thing is over, she's reporting that this happened. Right. That she's yeah, laying she- in bed. She's paralyzed. And then she realizes She's floating through the air with these gray men. And then after the whole thing happens, she believes that something was implanted like in her sinuses. Like and yeah, she old, has like uh, a little scar apparently next to her nose. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but, Bud, you know. Bud, Hopkins, uh, Bud Hopkins interviewed a lot of uh, abduction, abductees. Yes. Yep. Um it's relatively uh, famous for that end of things. Yep. Uh, but uh, it's amazing. Uh, in the UFO book that I wrote, uh, I have one in there called The Grove Abduction, uh, where a woman in Florida uh, claims to be abducted. And that was a really, really bizarre encounter. Uh, she was out in some a grove and an overgrown, uh, I think it was a lemon grove or an orange tree grove, some type of <coughs> fruit grove that wasn't tended to anymore. And she used to walk a dog out there. And she was out there and started hearing what she thought was wood being chopped like the sound of an axe hitting a dry log. Hmm. And uh, I won't get into the whole thing, but that's what began what turned into an abduction. So this bizarre sound and like, what the heck is that? Next thing you know, she's abducted and then she finds herself sleeping in her bed with the door open on her apartment, her co-op, a condo, whatever it was. Wow. Very freaking weird stuff, man. Very weird stuff. Yeah. So I came across this and I was like, yeah, you know, let's go to the skies this week. I mean, it's a little short. There's not a ton of detail, but it's pretty interesting. And it's got, you know, like when you read a lot about this, this account, it also you have these folks writing about it where they're saying like these aliens kind of wanted a lot of people to see this abduction, which kind of makes sense. Right. Like one, it's over lower Manhattan which, you know, what, mm-hmm. even back then, probably 8 million people lived in Manhattan. And mm-hmm. and then they're doing it in this, like, beam of light, you know, reported as three gray little creatures and this woman that's recognizable mm-hmm. as a woman coming out of this 12-story window in this beam of light, kind of moving slowly towards this glowing craft. Well, like, one it's of not two very things. sneaky. You know, it's like putting no. a searchlight over New York City. Yeah, and one of two things is going on there, Kev. A, either they wanted people to see it. Right. Or B, they don't care if you see it. Right. Or you know, C, the whole thing's bogus. <laughs> nah. I don't think that's yeah, it, though. I'm, this has been reported yeah. a lot of different times. Yeah, I'm not I'm not buying the bogus No, I know, thing. but it's I always have to put that out there. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, no, I, I know. I know, I'm just... Voicing my own. I don't own, want to be uh, like the expedition Bigfoot guys, saying that little baby Bigfoot were learning how to build a shelter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which really they may be. They I may mean, be, it's, but it's, I'm just not yeah. placing the bet on that. I mean, we played with Tinker Toys when we were kids, right? Absolutely, could be. I'm not and, saying it's not. I'm just saying it. Yeah. it's not that likely, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know me, the Occam's razor guy. I'm consistent, if nothing yeah. else. I try yeah. to think it's yeah. the most obvious explanation, not the the corner case, so to speak. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And, boy, you really got my juices flowing with that because I'm thinking now that the guy I have in my book was just another witness uh, to that event. Or could it have been a second event or another? Maybe it happens with regularity. Could be. Who knows? Who knows? These guys saw a shape moving around the building blacked out. And they could distinctly recognize it looking out of their apartment windows as moving around in between the buildings just below them. Yeah, so that sounds a little different, though. Yeah, they could see it moving by, (coughs) excuse me, apartments with people inside. Uh, Some of the apartments had drawn blinds. Uh, Some of them, the blinds were open and people were actively moving around inside them. And this thing was just moving around the perimeter of the building over what is the city that never sleeps. There were cars that blow, horns mm-hmm. beeping, lights all over the place, people walking on the sidewalk. And here's this thing moving around silently around the building. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fantastic, Kev. So I got something uh, pretty cool here. Uh If this doesn't ring true of a Bigfoot at work, I'll eat my hat. And I have a number of hats. I'll eat two hats. I'll eat my Kevlar army helmet. How's that? (laughs) With the camo cover on it. Uh, This story came to me from Max and Marissa Vandegroff. With some rather unusual and telling evidence, which I believe you'll find very interesting, my dear listeners. At the time of this account, they'd been living north of Newport, Vermont, very near the Canadian border. And here is their story. At that time in our lives, my wife and I were not full-fledged homesteaders, but we were certainly very self-sufficient. We lived this lifestyle not out of necessity, but because we enjoyed the activities and the rewards associated with them. My wife was making some money with a mail-order rubber stamp business, and I was engaged in more than my fair share of mechanic work for many of the locals. I had an old bread truck equipped with pretty much everything that I needed for my job, with the best part of my work being that I made my own hours and determined when I would work or when I would not. We purchased our home at the time for $1,800 cash. Can you imagine that, Kev? And it came with five acres. I can't imagine that, especially in today's market. Yeah, and it came with five acres of property that had already been cleared. I had also bought an old tractor from a local farmer and a couple of attachments to go along with it. Over the course of the next three years or so, we constructed a pig pen, a fairly good-sized chicken coop, and a fairly good-sized chicken coop. We also erected three greenhouses, building one per year and not starting the next until the first was up and running. We also had wood-burning furnaces to pump some heat into the greenhouses. And however, you could only use them to get things going in the early spring, the temperatures being much too cold to keep them warm prior to that time of the year. At that time, our bills were so insignificant in comparison to what we made that we wanted for nothing. We were doing very well, and we learned both on our own and through the help of many locals through the years how to better our our homestead and how to get the most out of what we were doing, be it the pigs, chickens, or the greenhouses. So very industrious. Despite everything we were doing, we still needed to buy a fair number of things. We were not wiping our butts with leaves in the woods by any means. We had electricity, running water, and plumbing, just like most of America. One day in late April, my wife had gone out to get some eggs. When she realized that a large section of the chicken wire had been torn from the coop's fence. She also noticed a good deal of feathers and blood on the ground around the coop, which meant that something had broken into the coop and gotten to some of our birds. 
When I came home from a repair job later that same day, the two of us went out to survey the damage. And whatever had done this damage had good strength. I say this because the wire had been applied to six-by-six posts with one-inch staples, the kind that had to be hammered in, with most of them having been pulled loose as the wire had been torn away. If you or I would try to try doing the same, we would achieve nothing except getting cuts and lacerations. It would be that tough. After I made the repair and had taken a headcount of the birds lost, I learned that three chickens had been taken. I'd never seen a bear here before, but I assumed that a bear had done this. The two of us started to look around for tracks and other evidence, and it was then that we started to notice some large, flat impressions in the ground. I, would, I wouldn't call them footprints because the ground was much too hard for proper prints, but I will say that they appeared to be flat spots on the ground, kind of like when someone tamps down gravel for a new walkway. About a week later, the hen house was ravaged during the night again, and my wife discovered it in the same way she had the previous week. The wire had once again been ripped off the posts, and this time a section of the plywood house had been torn away, with most of the eggs being gone or broken. Broken shells and yolks were scattered all over the place. This time, we had a little bit of a trail to follow, because whatever had tried to carry these eggs away had broken or lost most of them in the process. We could now follow this trail into the edge of the woods, but no further. I consulted with a few of my neighbors who were big-time hunters, and in the end, they were all in agreement that I had a bear problem and that I could either trap it or kill it. Either way, all of them thought it would just keep coming back for the chickens and maybe even the pigs. My neighbor Ernie gave me an old bear trap, which I baited with some thawed raw pork, and my wife and I decided to sit up all night for however many days it would take in order to get this thing. We spent our night sitting near a back window from which we could see the coop. The room next to us had a hand-crank casement windows and a door that led outside into the yard, and I figured that when we saw the bear, I would try to get a shot off through the casement window that was cranked wide open. If not, I would then gently swing the door open and try the same. That was my plan. On the first night, we saw a fox surveying the meat in the trap. It was trying to cautiously reach its snout over the trap and take a bite, but for some reason it was afraid to commit fully and wandered off without having eaten anything. On the second night's watch, we saw nothing from our post, but that same day, my wife went out to check on the greenhouses and found the back end of one of the houses torn open. It looked like something had opened the door and forced its way through the frame because it was too big to walk through the door. At least that was my impression at the time. All of this must have happened while we were awake and watching the coop because we couldn't see that end of the greenhouse from where we were situated. We had also somehow heard nothing. And when we went inside the greenhouse from where we were, we had also somehow heard nothing. Uh, excuse me. And when we went inside, there were gigantic footprints in the vegetable beds throughout the greenhouse. We had staked the beds with metal every four feet for strength, and they were filled with the softest, loamiest soil you could imagine. A grasshopper could have left a print in that soil. Whatever had walked through here had pulled out most of the small plants and eaten them. Its weight had compressed the loam down to its base, which was about 12 to 14 inches of depth in total. The prints were perfectly formed gigantic human-like feet, with the only difference being the shaping of the toes, which were broad and angled kind of funny. Just so you understand, each greenhouse had six boxes in them that were six by 12 feet. Between these boxes were pea gravel pathways to walk on when you were tending to the vegetables, and whatever this animal was had walked right into the beds 
grabbed whatever it wanted, and left. I called in the local game warden, and when he had arrived and saw what it was done, he was speechless. He was a young man, and all he could say was that it looked like a giant walked through our beds. Later that morning, I called some of the men over to have a look, and one fellow named George, who was an old-timer in the area, said that he wouldn't have believed it he wouldn't have believed it had he not seen it with his own eyes. But this looked like the work of the hairy man of the woods. This is what George says. He then went on to speak about a giant gorilla or hair-covered man who had attacked people and killed livestock in the days gone by, according to the locals. However, none of them had heard or seen of anything of the sort in their lifetimes. George started saying that whatever this is need, whatever this is, is needs to be put down and put down as soon as possible. We were all in agreement that with feet that size, we could only imagine what the rest of it would look like. Together, we devised a plan. We were going to leave everything else in the yard as it had always been, including the now damaged greenhouse. One of the boys had a Winnebago mobile home which we were going to station this home in the yard where all aspects of the greenhouses, the pen, and the coop could be seen from inside. We would then stake out the property from within the Winnebago with our rifles at the ready. The men were all fired up and everyone wanted to be in on this action. Two days later, we're all dressed up for hunting and sitting in the truck with the louvered windows open and the the door ajar. In the middle of the night, one of the guys pointed towards the pig pen, but said nothing. The pig pen was most visible from the Winnebago's door, and as fate would have it, it was the hardest part of the vehicle to see from. But he could see a little bit, and that was enough for now. We were all trying to get some kind of look toward the pen, which was almost completely devoid of light. As I focused my eyes, I could make out the pigs with their lightly colored skin all huddled together in one end of the pen, which was something they would only do when trying to escape from a predator. Next, I saw a large, dark mass come into view, and at the same time, all of the pigs ran to the other side of the pen and out of our view. Ernie mouthed the words, It's there. Let's go while pointing his finger emphatically at the pen. We jumped out, Ernie fired the first shot, as I and Joe Hollander followed. When we were all out, this place was lit up like the 4th of July. We must have shot 30 rounds into the darkness, and Ernie was certain that he had hit his mark with the first shot, saying that he had his sight right on the shadow. We all looked around for blood or anything else that would indicate it had been hit, but we found nothing. We had been hoping for a scenario where several guys would take it down, but as it turned out, the first guy out of this small door was going to have the only shot worth taking, especially when you're shooting in the dark at something that is dark itself. The next day, I did manage to find some blood on the ground, right where Ernie had said he hit his mark. He was firing an M1, and one would think that it would have to have hurt at 30 yards. The pen had a fence around it that was six foot tall, and the black mass that we had seen was at least four or five feet taller than the top of the fence and appeared to be very large in every sense of the word. At any rate, all of the activity around our house ceased after that night. So we had been successful, even if we hadn't seen a dead body. I filed a report with the warden about what we had done and he was more than a little peeved about us firing in the dark at an unknown target. But all's well that ends well, I guess, and it did end well. What do you think of that, Kev? That is pretty Pretty wild, and I do think an M1 would leave a pretty big hole. at What do you say, 30 feet? Yeah, I mean, 30 feet or 30 30 feet? Yeah, I mean, they were close. Either way, either way, 90 feet, 30 feet, and M1's going to leave a big hole. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you would think it would sting. 
Yes. And yet, whatever this, it would leave whatever a mark. this thing, yeah, whatever this <laughs> thing was, uh, didn't go down. No. And uh, interesting, though, how big footprints in a loamy soil, forcible yeah, how, entry how into a narrow say? greenhouse like 12 door. Inch, 12 inches deep, the footprints in the loamy soil? Yeah, he said it compressed the loam all the way down to its base. Wow. 12 to 14 inches. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Substantial weight to do that, you know, to just yeah, yeah. mash I mean, it you know, down to nothing. I got substantial weight. I don't think I would do that. <laughs> no, that's not happening, you know. You're yeah. talking many hundreds of pounds at the yeah. very least. Yeah. And then they said the shadow, the dark figure they saw appeared to be four or five feet higher than the six-foot fence. Yeah, with a, with a taste for fresh chicken. Uh, fresh pigs. <laughs> you know, which brings us back to the wild hogs, right? Yeah. I mean, I was saying all along, these wild hogs have to be a feast for Bigfoot. Yep. Because, you know, it could easily run down a hog and just have its way with it. Uh snap its neck or grab it by the feet and bang it against a tree and kill it, you know, whatever they would do. Yeah. But uh, that's some crazy stuff. And well, that's I mean, up, who, doesn't uh, like, who doesn't like bacon with their eggs? <laughs> yeah, but raw bacon? Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> fresh, fresh pork off the bone? Maybe he brought it back to cook. You never know. Maybe he's got it like a curing yeah, no, shed. Maybe- yeah, maybe you put a chef's hat on and started sizzling <laughs> it over a fire. <laughs> maybe a little apron. Hey. Does that Remember smell Graham like Kay, bacon the cooking out there in the forest? He's got a little uh, maple uh, syrup tap in the maple tree there in Vermont, you know. A little hibachi. I mean, they were homesteaders. Maybe the Bigfoot was a homesteader, too. In his own sense. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's been yeah, a long week yeah, no, though, we with ju- that drive, you know. Yeah. Hey, don't I'm I know? I'm starting it. to think of that Bigfoot <laughs> with the chef hat on, with the little maple syrup <laughs> tap, and hey. Yeah. I was just thinking about Graham Kerr, the galloping gourmet. Remember yeah, that guy? Yeah. <laughs> He used to come out slugging on a wine bottle right out of it. First, he'd start pouring it in a glass, and then he picked a bottle up and just drank that. <laughs> it was between him and Julia Child, who was, like, yeah. more drunk by the end of the show. Yeah. Bon appetit. Hello, bon appetit. <laughs> oh, some for me, Sherry. <laughs> oh, man. But I tell you, that was a great account. And following that... Uh, that account over by the Brooklyn Bridge, but that's really got me thinking now, boy. Yeah, no, I got. How many I have times? to read that account that you have in all seriousness, and and I mean this this uh, Harry Man sighting in northern Vermont. We know how rural it is up there. Jeez. Yeah, Anything and I mean, when you buy there. a house for eighteen hundred bucks on five acres, there can't be too many buyers around there, and they're just looking to unload it. No, you know? I'm thinking you must have to drill for like two thousand feet to get your well in for water or something at that price. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's just like uh, something's up. Either that, or a family of Bigfoot lives on the land and it killed everybody that lived there previously. <laughs> yeah, so they're happy <laughs> that you've taken over. Exactly. Come on Good. in. Good luck. Good luck. I know it seems cheap. You'll understand why in a few months. <laughs> Don't say oh. that. Oh, you're a homesteader, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They like <laughs> pigs and chickens. I mean, uh, you'll like your pigs and chickens. <laughs> well, Kev, what do we have in our listener mail? Yeah, yeah. Week? We got some good listener mail tonight. So uh, Rodney writes in, and he writes... Uh, W.J. and K.J., sorry to hear you two had a schedule conflict. We missed you, K.J. However, William, congratulations on your latest solo show, and you are hereby a lifetime member of the Water Cooler Sasquatch Buddies Club. (laughs) We know you were concerned of not having one. Now you have two Water Cooler Buddies for life, Mike and Rodney from Ma. 
I assume that's Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, Rodney, I want you to send me a picture of you and Mike standing Around by the, the cooler. water cooler. Yeah. You know and what I want to thank you because they do go on, Bill, <laughs> to say that they'll welcome me also uh, as a social member. So that's good, even okay, though I wasn't well. there. Uh, I he want says, the picture. Oh, yeah, the picture, too. And he says, <laughs> we'll send you instructions on your annual dues, which usually means carry more gun than you think you're going to need. <laughs> Rodney loves Western Pennsylvania stories, and I hope KJ would look into the giants of Western Pennsylvania for his oddities segment. We love the show, and all the best to your families, Rodney and Mike. You know, uh, Kev, there have been some giants that have been purportedly dug up or found uh, in that neck of the woods. And as is the case with a lot of things, seem to have disappeared mm. into obscurity. Uh, but I believe there went? have been some photographs, even a couple of newspaper articles at the time of some of the findings that nobody seems to know what happened to these things, you know. So yeah. maybe we could check into that as well. It would be a good oddity segment uh, on uh, giants, yep. uh, both lo locally and globally. Yep. There are, stories, there are stories all over the place about giant skeletons and photographs of guys at dig sites with these massive... Skeletons that appear. Yeah, to be yeah. Like, we did know, a story. Nine, I forget where it was though, but out west, where where these graves were found. Uh, but it was probably yeah. three years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to revisit some of this stuff. Because, yeah, yeah. I'm all, you know, folks. I'm, I'm all in. Fo folks, once in a while, somebody will retort through the website that, "Oh, didn't we? You guys did that." Listen, man, there are plenty of things out there that are worth talking about again and again and again. And repetition is in the norm in our business. I can't tell you how many times uh, I've heard a conversation or been involved in a conversation about the Patterson-Gimlin film. How many times I've heard or seen something on the Loch Ness Monster or there's a plethora of topics that are rehashed again and again and again. And we're not outside of doing that either, folks. So uh, these topics are worth discussion on and on and on. I just want to say that, Kevin. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, It's like man. somebody says, I heard, I, I heard that already. You know, like, yeah, okay, good luck with that. No, but I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I appreciate being included in the... Uh, uh, water cooler gang, even though I wasn't here for the solo episode, which is why it was a solo episode. <laughs> well, it's all right, always our, room our next the water cooler. Comes in, yeah, our next email comes in from John from Northwest Minnesota. And he says, right. I finally, I decided to finally take a few minutes and, can, and contact the brother Sheehan. I had never mm -hmm. binge listened to a podcast until I stumbled across yours. I even have my wife and daughter listening also. I got all caught up about a month ago. Bigfoot has been a fascination since the mid-1970s when I read a couple of books in grade school about the subject. Your show has really renewed my interest, and I'm working on developing a piece of hardware that I think will aid in research. Hopefully time and finances will allow for its completion this summer. I'm 13 miles from the Canadian border in northwestern Minnesota. We have a sheriff's deputy car in a nearby county museum that was allegedly run off the road by a UFO back in the 1970s. Yes. <laughs> he says, if you'd like more <laughs> I, I info, remember that. Oh, really? Yeah, they have, that, they have that car saved at that police department, I believe. Yeah. And uh, the... The officer got all shook up. This thing came at his car at, like, rapid speed. 
Yeah. I think it damaged the fender, broke his windshield, and tore the antenna off the car or something. Mm-hmm. And they saved the car. Yeah, that's he says it's at a museum, local museum. Yeah. And he says, yeah. uh, John says, if you would like more info, let me know, and I'll take a ride over and take some pictures of the car. And by the way, John, we'd like more info. Take some pictures, yeah. please, and, and send John- them over. John, give us a little heads up on the details of the account and the year and the area. Kev, I think we should look into that. That would be an excellent story to report on. I agree. It's pretty Uh, cool. Yeah, I heard about it many years ago, uh, and I actually heard the officer interviewed. Really? Yeah, and I'm telling you, man, this guy was all shook up. Still. Uh, like reliving what happened that night. Yeah. And not only did this UFO come at him, but it impacted his car in several places, the police car. Yeah. So I don't know if this thing was out of control, it was deliberate, uh, or what. But the fact that it could do damage to a mechanical device indicated itself it had mass, it had... uh, trajectory uh and it kept going yeah so what's that all about i mean that is like as bizarre as it gets wild and then john continues to write and he says i know you're also interested in angelic encounters i've had a few things happen that i can only explain as such if you'd be interested in hearing them i would be willing to tell the stories Two of them were, I believe, life-saving experiences. And then he shifts gears a little bit, which is kind of funny. He says, Kevin, when I first heard the podcast, I had to stop the show and read who was on it. You sound exactly like a friend of ours. He's a doctor, and he's delivered five of our eight children and is a member of our church. So I know his voice well. I've played the podcast for several people, and they are all amazed at how much you sound alike. So if you ever need an alibi, maybe we can work something out. (laughs) (laughs) Keep up the incredible job. And by the way, yeah, that's great. And by the way, John, I believe I contacted you and asked you to call me. Uh, I want to take you up on your offer to uh, have a conversation. I haven't heard back from him. And, John, if that is the case, if it's not the case, if you didn't get my number, I want you to recontact me, and I want to have a conversation with you about your uh, angelic encounters, okay? Yeah, very so, cool. And, John, a deal tell, is your, a deal. tell your friend I'm very sorry that he sounds like me and that I sound like him. It's not a beautiful voice. And, <laughs> <laughs> Kev, by the way, while I'm thinking about this, uh, the last time we had a free book giveaway, an autographed book giveaway, mm-hmm. nobody ever got back to me. Really? So I never gave the prize out. All right. And mm-hmm. here's, the th- here's the thing, folks. When we have an autographed book giveaway, first of all, you have to be listening to the podcast to know when I announce who you are. Then you have to get back to me. And tell me your na- your actual name and address. I'm not giving it to anybody. I don't hang on to it. And I'll send you out the book. But uh, the person who won the last contest never got back to me. And I announced oh. who they were. Like kind of led lead into their email or whatever. So you wouldn't be mistaken. You know what I mean? And never heard from them. And by the way, Bill, just to be clear, if they're not listening, but their Bigfoot friend... Or alien friend is listening and tells them about it, and they yeah. call you, that's still okay, right? That's okay. Okay, just yeah. check no, it. No, that's okay. Or if you send a messenger to me who appears at my front door. Like a Rougarou. No, like a black-eyed kid. <laughs> uh, you know. Hello. Just, just let me in. Yeah. I carry a message from the book winner. <laughs> Bill, tell me your head yeah. would not explode. 
Yeah, well, then I go into the bedroom and get my samurai sword and I unsheathe it. <laughs> and we're going to see how long that black-eyed kid can last with me pursuing it with a sword. <laughs> no need to get that sword out. I just want to borrow your telephone. <laughs> Here I come, you little rat. Ah! <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right, Bill, and our last email tonight comes in from Richard. And Richard writes, WJ and KJ, I agree with you on Expedition Bigfoot. Every time they get some good finds, they almost skip over it. They had some great thermal footage and also a bone pile that they came across, and they hardly discuss it, and instead they go out and on about walking in the woods in the middle of the night and hearing things. Thanks, Richard. So, Richard, that's a good point. I mean, I still love the show, don't get me wrong, but it is a little wacky this season where they jump from, like, super interesting stuff to be stumbling around in the forest at night. I don't know. Yeah. Like, we never we never Look follow up. up on what exactly happened with the bone pile, for example. Right, Kevin. That would have been super interesting. How about I know. some DNA? How about some examination of the bones and the uh, tooth marks or anything? Yeah, some DNA evidence around the area. Yeah. 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 And I love the show. I'm with you, Kev. I I, I love the show. I'll watch it year after year if they keep marching around and looking for stuff. But please, guys. Come on. Spend some time. Make a couple of shows up of just investigation of evidence. Yeah. You don't even have to find any new stuff. Just tell us about what you found. Yeah. yeah. You could, Kev, you could, easy, you could easily kill several hours of very interesting television going over the evidence uh, that they've, they've had to date. I mean, come on. I'm with you, you know, 100%. Anybody who's into Bigfoot would be glued to the TV to hear what was going on with some of that stuff. Yep, yep. Wow. Well, okay. cool stuff. Cool stuff, Bill. Great episode. I love that encounter from northern Vermont. And we got the, the woman in the alien tractor beam of sorts being beamed up to the alien ship with witnesses around lower Manhattan and uh, the Brooklyn Bridge as well. Yeah. And, John, don't forget, get back to me about the angelic encounters. And we want the picture by the water cooler. <laughs> That's a direct order coming from WJ. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. And thank Fantastic, you, folks. Kevin. Thanks for all the great reviews. Uh, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. And if you want to leave us a five-star written review, too, it's great to hear your humor when you write those fantastic reviews. And it really gives Bill and I uh, a little bit of extra energy in our day to hear uh, all of the positive feedback. And if you have something negative to say, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff, man. And by the way, folks, if you should find yourself purchasing a home northern Vermont near the Canadian border, I would suggest one thing to you. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. You know why? Because it's a freaking Bigfoot. That's why. Sleep tight. Sleep tight.